Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals, the podcast that allows every therapist, nail tech and stylist to level up, build their career and reach for their dreams. Each week we'll be looking at a different area of the industry and along the way I'll be chatting with salon owners, industry leaders and mentors who'll be sharing their stories on how they achieved their goals and made their successes. I'm Sue Davies, your host, award-winning salon owner and industry professional. Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals. Welcome to episode eight of Inspiring Salon Professionals. This week, I'm going to be talking with Lisa Smith, who is a successful salon owner from down in Kent. And she's been in the industry for over three decades, which is a massive, massive achievement. She has just won the Scratch Star Services to Industry Award, which was very, very much deserved and joins the club with myself and several other um, great now industry veterans. And um, and I'm so pleased to have her with me today. The reason that I brought Lisa onto the show was to have a conversation around employers' view of apprentices. But knowing her history, we kind of um, changed it slightly so that it covers an employer's view of probably most types of employment status, as Lisa has experienced in all of them. So the conversation, we can't, I just kind of let it flow because I know Lisa will talk as I will. And um, and so hopefully the conversation is going to prove useful to many of you that are potentially looking at the pros and cons of employed versus self-employed and apprenticeships and all those other things in between too. So handing over to the interview now and I'll let Lisa do her own introduction. See you on the other side. Lisa Smith has now joined um, joined the meeting. So Lisa, can you just give us a little bit of a history, a potted history, because your history is huge. Um, if you just give us a bit of a potted history on who you are and what you've done and why you're joining me today. Okay, well, hello. Um, yeah, a career spanning 35 years, uh, three years in college doing hair and beauty to level three. Got the opportunity to open my salon immediately leaving college, took the opportunity. Um, never expected that to happen, but I did. Fast forward, my career followed four paths. So if we follow the salon path first, um, I've moved premises five times. My team grew and was employed, then self-employed now back to employed, which I think we're going to touch on. So I won't elaborate. Um, I, along the way, I fell into competing and competed all over the world, got national championships, trophies. Um, at one point I was fifth in the world. That was all um, acrylics and uh, liquid and powder extensions and, and everything. First, that's when I first came across you. Was that's it, people. on the competition arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with like Keaton and Denise and all that lot. Um, and then because you put yourself out there and you meet people, I then became an educator for CND and worked with Samantha and Samuel for well for the last 20 years. And I also then met Marion and Lorraine Griffin and people that were high in the session world and I assisted those. And yeah, it, it, each of those, each of them, I'm a bit of a, a serial learner and a serial entrepreneur. So Everything that I did, I did to the absolute best I could and reached yes. a point that really there was no point in going any further. So um, I wanted to, to get my salon to a stage where I could retire from at some point. Yeah. So I then gradually retired from competing, retired from session work. I still educate, but not to the same level as practical. Obviously, we've all moving on to online. 
Um, and that's and then last year in lockdown, I discovered coaching and fell in love with that. So my next project is Salon Coach. So that sort of brings me up to about now. Yeah, it is. And I keep I keep seeing your little every time I see your new little logo, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. and it's just so impacting. I love that logo. It's brilliant. Oh, I'm glad. We start with some questions. Um, and I'm sure we'll just carry on chatting because we yeah, we just talk a lot, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> um so you've so you've obviously you've had your salon for a very, very long time and um and moved and as well that moving of like five premises, that's a lot of that's a lot of moving. And um and as you well, oh well, you know, because you just you just cut my hair for me a little while ago. So I, I did. she visited your salon for the first time, yes. which is really nice. So over those years, you would have had a lot of changes. And one of the things we're talking about at the moment um, on the podcast is about career pathways and all that kind of stuff. So you've had a really interesting journey through staffing your salon. So would you mind just talking about the different kind of staff models that you've had over the year? And, and I know now one of the things I wanted to bring you on for was to talk about apprenticeships, but you've had a lot of different staff models. And I think it'd be really useful for people to hear a salon owner's view of why you've chosen those things and the pros and cons of each of them and why you've moved away from them and ended up where you are now. Okay, so let's start at the beginning and there are numerous reasons why somebody will become a salon owner. And some of you, some of us fall into it sideways and you, you get busy. So you think I need someone else to help out and you grow gradually. Some people go into it with their eyes open and decide that they want a team and they want premises and they're going to make it a solid business. Well, mine, mine was organic growth, um, just being very busy, working 80 hours a week on my own, then a trainee and then another employee, then somebody else from college. And so I took them on fully qualified initially from college because that was the only option. There were no beauty apprenticeships whatsoever, no work experiences, no nothing. You just had to go to college. Yeah. So my team grew originally as employed and we just gradually grew bigger and bigger. The reason for moving premises was usually because of a bad yeah. landlord, um, really bad legal problems with different people. Um, I lost my first salon actually because somebody sold the building from under me and didn't even know it was happening. Wow. So the, the reasons for growing a team usually vary. And mine was organic as I said it, it grew slowly and then you suddenly find yourself with a big premises with a team of say four or five employees and at this point then I started to look into having juniors as apprenticeships because they were starting to come through I met somebody that could um, offer me the training um, outside of college then I, because of the peak of my other things so when I was competing a lot traveling a lot um, flying off everywhere at a moment's notice I suddenly thought you know the, the salon is almost a noose around my neck and I got very close to selling the salon at this point but I thought the in-between move would be to have less responsibility so I spoke to the team and they were all keen they were all fully booked with clients all very keen to be self-employed and obviously when you are when you have employees they are under your remit and you are on brand but Back in the day, I don't think we knew what brand was, to be fair. It was yeah. just, a, we grew and that's it. The more clients you've got, the more team members you need. And that's what happens. So they were then current, they were then play, paying me rent. Um, I think at the time it was a hundred pound a week, hundred pound a month, sorry. Um, and 
no, it might have been less than, I think it's more than £100 a week of my memory space. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm talking 20 years ago, but I think yeah. it was £100 a week. Yeah. And um, it did, because the last time I had self-employed, they were paying £600 a month. Yeah. So that was 150 a week. So um, then that paid that played into my hands and I have got a friend who has a salon who has a brilliant hair salon and has now chosen to go back to a self-employed model it suits her she's doing everything legally um luckily is a team that were employed with her then then went self-employed which actually has its own remit problems because unless you trust these people implicitly they can they can take you to court and and give you lots of problems about that the relationship is should be employed still so without going into legal stuff the reasons um i then so so obviously vat has to be mentioned because some salon owners grow quickly without realizing it and they suddenly find themselves in a situation which i did when i if my was going to continue to have employees i was going to have a huge vat bill and after discussing it with my accountant and other people, that was the another reason why the girls went self-employed. Um, the main reason was because I was very busy and I didn't want to, I didn't feel I could mentor them and, and employ them as I should do. So there are times, and there have been times in my career where it suited me to not have the responsibility as an employer. But then you come into the situation as as we now know, and this is where a lot of people are falling foul, is people want a brand. We now know in the last 10 years, we've all realized. So let me do a slight sideways chat that is really relevant to this. And that is my last column in um, Scratch was all about the fact that um, hairdressing has moved on in price and nows happen i think we we, we both we wrote very similar things actually that yes was really weird isn't it weird how oh, these conversations yeah. happen between yeah. us and it yeah. triggers these thought yeah. processes and so for me because obviously i'm a hairdresser and a beauty therapist and a nail professional so i keep my finger on the pulse for the now i know what hairdressing is charged i know that like 30 years ago we were charging 40 pounds for a set of nails and 40 pound for a cut and color you know fast forward an average cut and color and i'm talking average you know not not your highest quality stylist your average cut and color is now 80 pounds whereas your new set of nails is still 40 and in some cases a lot less So now, obviously, in my salon, it's different. We're that registered. We're all employed. We use high-end products. We're, we're looking for a different type of clients. So we're new sets of 60. But on average, you're looking at around the same price, which is 40 quid. Yeah. So so what happens, it, I look back at 30 years ago, there were still hair salons that we called Sweaty Betty's. Yeah. And they were the ones that used all oh, the gallon size shampoos and put them into nice bottles. They used instant coffee. They had last last year's magazines on the side. Uh, but it was all it was cheap and cheerful. And there wasn't a lot of in salon training, no in salon training. There was no brand. The site, you're lucky if you had a logo. No one had websites or there was no yeah. social media. So no one had a brand. Lisa's nails. Uh, yeah. Lisa's, like, Lisa's yeah, exactly. Nails. But that was it, it, wasn't it? It was. It, it was. So no one knew, no one knew. So what then happened in the hair industry, that's why I needed to say this side story, the hair industry sat up and took notice quickly. You had the Tony and guys and the all the big, you know, the big conglomerates that then became franchise. And suddenly what was only ever found in London 
was found in your high street yeah. like not like big towns I'm talking because I'm in Kent obviously you know Kent it's like you're looking Maidstone Canterbury Rochester yeah. you know maybe not my high street but you would get the big Tony and guys and everybody would suddenly be looking for something a little bit more they were all employed they yeah. had to be employed because everyone had to be on brand yeah. you, everyone cut the same or, or within reason yeah there was protocol there were systems so you've got this sort of element of um, you have to have employees in those in those salons. Now, because the then the the little sweaty Betty's, they they you know the shampoo and sets died off literally, yeah. bless their hearts. Um, and those salons they stopped being that way. So now nearly every salon on the high street has got a brand. They've got a recognisable brand. They they've got a high level of skill. They've got in salon training. Now followed back back 30 years for the nail industry. The nail industry then was this handful of people that were highly skilled, people like, you know, myself and, and people that, that genuinely learned their skill and trade and then taught others. And then, but the industry didn't move forward at the same rate because they're younger. Hairdressing industry was around in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It wasn't until the 80s that things change for the hairdressing industry and everybody stepped up a level. Well, the nail industry is only just doing that now. The biggest problem with having a self-employed team, now I've spoke about brand, is the salon owners that don't want to get into the back um, situation. They don't want to charge prices that they feel are inflated. They don't want to have to do things that employers do. Now, the biggest problem is, but they do want a brand. They do want the, the salon to be high level. They do want everyone to use the same products. They do want everybody maybe even to look the same. But this is where we cross over into issues. So if you are genuinely switched on, as my friend Tina is, and has I've, I've, I've plumped this into her, I've told her all the areas where she has to be careful, but... Being having a self-employed team means, and for me, when we got to the premises I'm in now that you've been to, so 16 years ago, my team was still self-employed and I was still heavily traveling. So it was playing in my hands. What I discovered though, is they would get self very fully booked. And because they get into their twenties, they then start thinking about having children and getting married and whatever. And then before you know it, they've got a full book. Thank you very much. And then they're going to leave and take all those clients with them because they can, because they're self-employed. So you, you, you just keep, you, you just keep building and then shrinking and building and then shrinking. So when I realized I wanted to make this more about me and more about my retirement and make the business more of a business yeah. I then realized I had to move to it employed and I couldn't do it overnight we couldn't suddenly um, put 20% on their prices we had to take a three-year period and that's the three-year plan the master plan took three years and the way I did that was by taking on apprentices yeah. immediately I took on two and then gradually the self-employed people just left but not before I'd sort of replaced them. Yeah. So it had to happen mutually, you know, get to the stage where you start changing things and saying to the self-employed staff, I'm really sorry, but this is the way it's going to be from now on. I understand if that's not for you. And at the end of next year, we're only going to have employed staff. So, you know, think about it. If And only two people, one of which was my daughter, 
yeah. stayed with us as employees. They jumped at it. They both wanted to be employed. And you'll always find people that don't rec- that recognise that having all that money in your hand is not your income. No. And I think this is this is a massive issue, isn't it? I mean, I know with my salon, um, you know, I'd had I've had a mix over the years of different things and different models, and um, and had all at some points I've had employed apprentices and self-employed all at the same time, and um, and it is and it's it's a challenge, massive challenge to try and make it work, but. I've also tried um, to get the people that I had self-employed at different points to go employed and just absolute refusal because they view themselves completely as a business. And although that from where I was standing, it was questionable and I had to make sure that I complied so solidly with the law, trying to make sure that I was on the right side of it. But it, and it did make it difficult because, you know, you do want that brand and that branding is what brings people to the salon and brings them to your business. And um, and when you can't have that control over your business, it does make it quite challenging. Yeah, I, it was an absolute. Um, it was it was a clear line in the sand for me. Yeah. I recognised that, and I also recognised it was going to take a few years to transition. Um, and I do think, as you no doubt discovered, that having a mix of employed and self-employed mm-hmm. only works if the people that are there you know very well and they they just it just works for them as independent people um I think my biggest bugbear at the moment is and this is why I went into business coaching and why I feel I really have this desire to elevate people's knowledge is the fact that when people slide in slowly sideways from into our industry from hobby to to professional which is what usually happens with the nail industry maybe not so much hair and beauty I started to be honest Yeah, it's, it's probably 80 percent yeah 80 percent of of yeah. the industry has started like that and are solopreneurs they're on their own and what they don't correlate is the fact that my employees have a set amount in their pocket each month but they all their taxes paid as we all found out when they were all furloughed and thank you very much. They can sit at home with, with, with 80% of their wage. No one knew that was coming. That's just, that was just a bonus for any employee out there, but, and and a real shocker for someone that's self-employed. COVID has highlighted a lot of employment irregularities. It has. And, and choices it's, it's, it's highlighted the choices that we make. So my girls have had their pension paid, they had their national insurance paid. They, um, they have paid holiday, paid sick. And if you add that up over 12 months, because I have, I'm, I started doing it, and I haven't quite managed to finish that equation, but I will come up with a figure because, and also they don't have to worry about the stock. It's just yeah. there. They don't have to waste time doing anything outside of their 40 hours. Yeah. So people think they earn double when they're self-employed. But by the time you chip away at it and work out the hours, say you would do 60 hours a week because 20 hours a week, you're ordering, researching, invoicing, doing social media, checking the bank, doing a stock check, whatever it is. If that you have to do that outside of your income earning hours, then that is included in the hours that you're working. That brings everything down. So um, I do think we need to have a highly educated situation where people genuinely look at what they're charging because if someone is charging 
15 pounds for an hour's treatment then they are so many of them have no idea that they're actually probably only going to get about five or six pounds of that exactly terms in real terms unless they are taking cash and not declaring any money but as they found out that that will eventually come a cropper um you know you're living on a knife edge if you are if you are living cash cash only you're living on a knife edge for somebody somewhere to say something mm-hmm. and and if the tax i mean i've had three tax inspections um to that one one income tax over the years that's only one every decade so i can cope with that no, we've had i've never i've yeah, touch wood i've not had them on my <laughs> on my business but we've had i think three or four on my husband's business over the years and, um, at the and at the end of the fun. day, they look at fun. your lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I I I talk to business people outside of industry. I reckon more than half my time networking and learning is not from industry; it's from outside industry. And somebody once did say to me just before lockdown, so before we even got the furlough situation and self-employed people suddenly having a shocker—not all self-employed people, but a good handful. Um, someone said to me from outside a business, I think they were in accounts and they said something along the lines of, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a known thing that there is lots of people in your industry that pay zero tax, but drive Range Rovers and, and have £2,000 handbags. And that was coming from someone outside of industry. That wasn't someone pointing the finger within. Yeah. So, and, and it do, it's, it's a known thing that there is an element to the industry that deals in cash only that um i mean which not only our industry the building no, industry did, yeah any trade i know it's, it's, i mean my husband's in in the construction industry and you know they cash rampages through that industry but mm. the government have not to, we could get into like a whole different thing there but, <laughs> but the government you know they've put we've even just had like now for his business and i do wonder i don't think it can i don't think it would work in um hair and beauty but we've got a thing now called the domestic reverse charge so that we can't when we're when we're um, invoicing our contractors we can't charge VAT anymore and um, does that work <laughs> I know so we that they have to charge it it's, it's really weird so we can't charge it we have to tell them that we're we're under the reverse charge scheme and then they can oh, I don't, then they can charge their client oh it's just the most complicated thing and it's all to do with subcontracting which is effectively what our self-employed model is in the industry is subcontractors. Yeah. But within construction, because the industry is so huge, there has been there's this massive problem of people um, evading VAT or claiming extra VAT and claiming back what they shouldn't. I honestly, it's a it's a whole minefield of of nightmare domestic recharge, um, reverse charge, and I I don't understand it. Thank goodness my accounting system does it for me. Yeah. Well, well I, I mean, at the end but of the day, there's only so we, much yeah, we need that to, we be aware need of to know, isn't there? Yeah, this is it. I've got, I've got a machine that does it for me and a brain in that machine that does it. And that's all I need to worry about. And I just have to remember to type on every invoice. Yes. <laughs> and even that can be complex sometimes. But, it's, but it is, it's a massive problem. And the revenue, you know, they are watching, and especially now after COVID, they've got to claw back money from wherever they can. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And we have all got to be very aware that if we are using a self-employed model, that we are working within the legal realms of it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and 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 to be fair, it's forever changing. And I think you you just you just have to have 
a really good chat with yourself as to why they are self-employed and come to the conclusion as to why you have chosen that model and then work your business model around that. You know, if, if, if you genuinely don't want the responsibility or you don't want to pay back, it, all of these are valid. Nobody wants to pay back if they can help it. But there will come a time where you've got to make a decision whether you shrink your business or grow your business. Yeah. And, and it depends on what age you are, where you're at with your children. All of these things need to be everyone's independent and individual as to what they need, aren't they? Absolutely. And how they get their money. But genuinely, it's. It is a big consideration that, that where, which way you jump and which way you choose. Yeah. But I would say it's a very hard thing to have a mixture of both. Yeah, it is. And, and I, th I think, like, you know, with my situation, member of my team um, that was working with me from the beginning, we set up and it was, and, and I wanted to do that back then, back in 2011. And it was a much easier option, those like back then. Now things have moved on slightly. Um, and but I always wanted to have a level of control. But she was a family member, and we've obviously known each other forever, and it and it worked for us. But and having those employed people around, you know, everybody worked together, and we did we blended as a team. However, it makes things very grey. Yeah, uh, and and it's, it's and it's it, you've just touched on you've just touched on the other issue that a lot of us do fall into, and I have done uh, many times is employing people because you know them. Yeah. rather than their skill set yeah and and again it's this whole mindset that we do slide into business yeah most of us myself included didn't start in business as a business person no absolutely not no you know I, I actually luckily for me did do um city and guilds business management or salon management at college so I wasn't completely clueless I was able to understand double entry bookkeeping and cash flow forecasts and stuff right from day one but there's no there's no backup for actually running a place no absolutely. ideally you would work it work somewhere manage somewhere then maybe think about owning somewhere this is it I mean it's like with me I mean I'd worked um for years as an office manager and PA and all that kind of stuff and I worked and I very handily worked in finance for quite a long time so I had an overview of financial stuff and then um God, back 25 years ago my husband set up his business so I've been running and I'd gone through double entry bookkeeping training so I've had that background too and by the time I started the salon I've been running his business doing all of his books doing his VAT and all that kind of stuff so I had an awareness that came with me that I still carry like I mean I still do all of his books and stuff now hate it but still do it because it just happens <laughs> um no one else is going to do it and so yeah so it does it get and I think having that level of understanding not every salon owner like you say has that level of understanding and and that sometimes it can yeah maybe sway the decisions you make with how you man your salon and how you manage your salon definitely yeah I, I think the other thing is an awful lot of people that don't have business knowledge especially on the financials is that they may be um they hire an accountant when they really only need a bookkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know there's some really great software like Xero and QuickBooks and all that lot now, which obviously helps, but you've got to understand what you're inputting and what you're outputting mm. to, to be able to really get the most of that. Yeah. So I do, I do think people um, are overpaying for knowledge. You know, you're, you only really need an accountant to show you how to make the best of your tax. Yeah, really. And I think accountants are making a lot of money out of our industry, personally. I think they are. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, should we move on to another question? Yes, because <laughs> I knew we'd see just see chain, and I hope, hope. <laughs> it's, yeah. The thing is, I think we're, we're quite like-minded, aren't we, in how, yes. how we view things. Yes. And so we'll just sit chatting for ages. Apprentices, pros and cons of apprentices. I think there's not many cons. There really isn't many cons. And the reason being, and this is what I often say to people, is some 16-year-olds genuinely are not ready for work. We all know that. However, if they've had work experience with you or whatever, then taking somebody on at that age allows you, and I know this sounds cavalier, but it, you, you are taking someone on at a very low pay rate. Mm. And if you can get them, like, obviously for me as an educator, I could get them to do like a schlap beginners or, you know, then like a wax, waxing beginners. So I could actually get them to turn in money within sort of six months. Um, and they do have a role within the business. So because I have a big business with a high, big team with over three floors, I need receptionists and I need juniors. Yeah. The girls couldn't work this place on their own. So there'll always be the need for that person that's on the bottom rung. So that's yeah. the first advantage. It allows you to have that. You don't have the fear that you're going to train someone for four years and they're going to leave. Yeah, because if you've got a hierarchy starting from the 16, 17 year olds that you're chucking a lot of education at, but they're also keeping the salon running by doing the things that mean that the more expensive members of staff that are being paid a good wage don't have to do all the little stuff. So they're, they're all the pros for apprenticeships. The only thing that can go slightly wrong is you've got to get a good trainee provider. Yeah. And it does vary around the country. And it's change. It changes all the time. And currently at the moment, I've taken on two hairdressing apprentices because I want to grow my hairdressing side of the business. And it's so changed. Literally, we deliver all the education right now. Yeah. Um, and the advantage of that is that they learn how we want to learn. But there is still this conflict of when they're assessed by an outside assessor, they have to do A, B, C, D. Yeah even though that's not the way we do things. So there, there is, there's the training itself and the training provider can give you issues. And if you are fully booked as a salon owner and you've got three other people in your business that are fully booked, and no one's got time to train or assess the apprentice, then you've got issues. And maybe you need to consider taking a step off the salon floor for half a day a week to start with before you think about taking on an apprentice. Yeah, because they the can't just be used to clean. I went through Saxon and it was down to me to do the training and it wasn't. So I had to, I, I specifically set time aside so that I could do that. And it is, and I yeah. was in a position I could do that. But for some salon owners, that isn't always an option, is it? No, no. But so. there are, like I said, there are, there are other ways to get people in that will help support the running of the salon. And also you can hand pick somebody that you really like the look of. And that is approaching colleges and saying, um, we're, we're happy to take on work experience girls from college. Yeah. So, or boys, but basically they have to do, a lot of colleges have to do 300 hours over their first, like their year one and their year two. Yeah. And a lot of my team that I've now got as a fully employed started that way. They did, they come with us for their, two days a week or whatever for their school term that year yeah. one and then because we liked them we'd say would you like to complete your level three with us as an apprentice yeah 
because they're still young enough because apprenticeships have changed quite a lot haven't they in recent years um Mm -hmm. obviously at the moment there's an extra thousand pound funding from the government i believe yep um and so an apprenticeship has opened up to the over 24s yeah so is is, is it something i mean because i know for me i've always tried to work with whatever age group came to me but do you specifically look for youth or, do, or, or are you as an employer more open to mature candidates as well? I, it's, a, it's going to be a massive thing, isn't it? That us oldies can become, I keep thinking I'm going to go and be an apprentice somewhere. Well, on this, well, there's two, there's two sides to my answer. Initially from a business perspective for building a business and growing a team, I would start them as young as possible mm. purely because of the pay rate. Yeah. And you they grow with you they genuinely grow with you for those two reasons i would not all of them but a biggest percentage of your intake really should be 16 year olds really should be 16 year olds um because you have two years of paying them a low pay rate but and the way i justify that is i went to college for three years and didn't get paid a penny i had to go and work in the bar and waitressing four nights a week to earn my money so i have no guilt over being cavalier like that this is how you build a business this yeah, is how you build a team and it and you are giving them their career so they're more than happy and if you do your job correctly and they're great then they start earning commission anyway so they're not on a low pay rate for a long time the advantage that if I was to take on an, a mature student as an apprentice, and there is extra help at the moment, but they would have to be super, super, super superstars because yeah. they will be on eight, nine pounds an hour. Yeah. And that's a tough call for someone who's not qualified. Yeah. It's that's unskilled labour. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just because I do wonder, because obviously like now I'm I haven't been in a position to be employing an apprentice for a while, obviously due to COVID, and then I've now got rid of my business. That whole opportunity now to have like the much more mature apprentice is I don't know. I, I I'm just quite interested to see where it goes and how how it turns out. I would like to think that the government will give realistically i don't think it should stop at 19 the support i think it should be up to the age of 30 maybe even um because if they want to get people that have slipped through the net and that are floundering and are not really finding their passion in life then allow them to jump into an apprenticeship but support the employer by giving them the same support for whatever age they are yeah you know except that they've got to be on a lower wage for starters I mean, like the risk, you know, I mean, I restarted my career in my 30s and left all of my office management jobs and stuff that I'd done previously because I had the kids and I had an opportunity. I'd always wanted to get into this industry. And so I I seized the opportunity and never let go. And I was just really lucky that someone when I I happened to walk into one particular person's salon one day and they happened to be recruiting. And it was and it was one of those like real sort of like sliding door moments that I actually got my leg up into the industry. But it is, you know, it's tough as a as a more mature person. And I know, you know, we see it across the forums a lot, don't we? You know, that I'm however old and no one will take me seriously and, you know, no one wants to employ me. And it is difficult. But as um, I think, I think also the, the thing that thing that mature students and mature employer ease could also take advantage of is the fact that there's a reasonably priced education mm-hmm. you know so you could actually get a couple of skills under your belt and then ask to be an employee yeah you know even if you if there is an apprenticeship 
um, startup situation for that age group, then as long as you you could quite quickly, especially you know if you if you know if you know where you're working and you find somewhere you want to work because you think that they're going to be a good employer, yeah. then usually that good employer will have good ways of educating, whether it's in house or out house or with a brand that they're using. So I do think that there are there's not there's no nothing stopping anybody getting in on that level um and I think we're quite an open I think we're quite an open industry to age nowadays and I think that there's there's an awful lot of us that come to this this career as more mature people and we you know there is a huge amount of 16 18 year olds that are coming into industry but I think you know we know especially in the now industry it's a very easy step to get into our industry um probably less so with beauty and hair but um yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting journey, I think, over the next few years to see where co- like the whole pandemic has changed the the platform that we all operate on, hasn't it? Everything's changed. Yeah, yeah, so. and 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 some some good and some some not. You know, yeah. it, it's it will. I I've always felt in the last five years that the industry needed to shrink a little bit. Mm. You know, we were oversubscribed as an industry. There was a lot of people that were semi hobbyists. Yeah that um, were doing a good enough job, but possibly weren't, um, they weren't insured, they weren't weren't progressing the industry. And we don't all have to be holier than thou. It's not all about the industry. It is about us as individuals and earning a decent wage for ourselves and everybody else. But yeah, there has to be a line that you draw that means that um, something big has to happen to shrink an industry to where it should be. And the end of that that conversation that we started about hair versus nails pricing wise, this is when I've ended up advising over the last few months that some people just need to drop things like enhancements. Yeah. Because that, you know, it is a little bit like not every hairdresser is capable of doing an extremely good color color root melt and balayage you know yeah it, you it really does separate the men from the boys um yeah. a lot of good hairdressers out there can do great color great hair cutting um styling but there are color specialists out there that can color correct and they are minimal and that's really where the nail industry should be heading yeah. it should be heading that there's great skill across the board but specialism in people that can afford to do a good job but very quickly and charge more yeah absolutely value your worth yes the key to our industry yes anyway we'll leave the main questions i've got and i'm doing like some little quick fire questions at the end of interviews if that's okay with you of course so quick answers because otherwise you've got, you've got to be somewhere anyway. We've got a few yeah. minutes. Yes. So there's there's just a few questions. Instant reactions. What makes you get out of bed in the morning? What has been the happiest moment of your career to date? Um, winning services to the industry. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. That was my but it comes very close to watching yeah. my daughter achieve what she did as well. She's been, you know, amazing. she decided to take a step out, but yeah, that, that they come close. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've had? And did you listen at the time or learn the hard way? I've always learned the hard way. <laughs> I've, I'm stubborn. 
I'm obstinate. I'm very, very, uh, very, very along the lines that I have to learn my own lessons. And probably the best advice as I, I reckon you, that question, if you ask someone every decade, I reckon their, their last best advice has happened in the last 10 years, yeah. like repeatedly. And genuinely, probably the best advice I've been given has literally been in the last two years. And it's not necessarily been from one person. It's been across the board. Yeah. And that is about how to pivot and how to yeah. how to view things differently. Brilliant. Um, if you could change one thing in your career, what would you change? There's not a lot. I've, I've only got one regret that I, if I could change, I would. Everything else was all learned, lessons learned and fabulous. And that is I, I allowed my pride to make a financial decision about 20 years ago, no, about 18 years ago. And I'm still physically financially paying for that decision because if I'd have just let it go yeah. and not got it, my pride not got in the way, I would, I'd have just lost a little bit and and not had to pay for like 30 years. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's the only thing. And I've, cause I've been asked that question before and I had to dig deep to find it, but that it's the only, it's the one time I let my pride get in the way of making a sensible decision and it cost me a lot of money. Yeah. Pride can be a terrible, um, and it's not something I suffer with. And that's, that's what annoys me. The yeah. one time I let it let, let it get in. Oh dear. So, what's the uh, what person, place, or experience has inspired you the most professionally? In my early days, I looked up to people like Jan Arnold from CND and the international CND team that was then that was yeah. a lot more prevalent than it is now. We've the team the team has shifted to be more inclusive and more more friendly I suppose but they used to be these people that like dressed in black and white and I thought that's I like that was my it was like a childish attitude of like that's who I want to be um and uh, to be fair to this day I think someone like Jan Arnold has probably had the biggest impact on me but obviously people like Marion and my friend Lorraine and many 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 people in the industry that that have led the way they are they are probably my favourite mentors. Brilliant. And what is the best treatment you've ever had? Oh, I actually don't have that many treatments. Shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Couples, ma- couples massage. Yeah. I treated my husband. I got to Christmas Eve one day and realised, shit, I haven't bought him a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> so I went online, thought, right, he likes Brighton. Um, I went online and found a, a, a massage salon in Brighton that did couples massage that I could buy a voucher online, print it off, done Excellent. and booked it. And then I went online and booked a hotel. So in an hour, I'd got him this like couples massage. And we did. We both went in like it was like the week after New Year. And it actually inspired me that much that we made our spa room that we've got now that has wow. got space to do a couple's massage. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was, I don't have a lot of treatments. I'm not successful. I go to places and go, oh, I'm going to book in for a massage and find out they're fully booked. Yeah. So yeah, I, for me, I'm very tactile and I love having my feet rubbed, having my, having a massage, having my scalp. I love my blow dries are my favorite thing. I pay someone to blow dry my hair every week. Yeah. Brilliant. And lastly, and I think I know the answer to this, would you do it all again? Yes. Yeah. I mean, why not? Why would yeah. you not? 
genuinely feel blessed that I started very young. I do sometimes look at the industry now and think, oh God, what I wouldn't have given to have had like Facebook and Instagram day one. But I genuinely think we were blessed with the education that we was able to receive. My three years education at college, second to none. And it's so different to what I might as well have been at university five days a week for three years. Yeah. I know because I so wanted to do that and I, I got kind of swayed by my now husband well no he didn't sway me but I like life swayed me because I was like oh I've got a boyfriend um and my mum was like go and learn to type because you'll always have a job and weirdly if I did still type I probably would be finding life more challenging nowadays trying to be a PA because there's just not as many roles around no um, well it's all virtual it's all virtual you'd have to be a VA now wouldn't you yeah this is it it's such a different world as um someone that types and, if, and just lastly, that thing about I said that all industries have to shrink at some point. Well, that because they yeah. do. We're, you know, anyone yeah. who uses their hands and provides a service will be the last people to be replaced. Yeah, absolutely. Because this you is know, like with my husband, you know, he's like in um, construction, plumbing mainly. And it is. And he, there's always going to be someone that needs their leaky toilet fixed. Always. Yeah. Especially a leaky toilet. Well, probably in 50 years, there'll be robots doing it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we won't even go to the toilet in 50 years. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave, we'll leave that there. Yeah, no toilet jokes. No, no toilet, toilet jokes. jokes. No. And I'll, we'll finish the recording. And um, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining Absolute me. Pleasure. And, um, pleasure. Always. So there you have it. A great interview there with Lisa. And some really key facts to take away from that you know she's had 35 years in the industry and just you know that lesson of like losing her first salon being sold out from underneath her there are so many things that you have to keep an eye on um, as a salon owner and who owns your lease and how that building is owned and operated is something a is a massive massive factor and I'll be covering that in a future episode with someone that's a lease specialist and can help with that kind of thing. One of the things that was quite important that Lisa was talking about was that difference between how things were 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and how things are now. And and it is funny because we both actually did write a very, very similar article in Scratch last month. And probably because we've both been having this conversation when she was cutting my hair when I was at her salon. It kind of covers the stuff we were talking around around pricing and how branding has changed. You know, brand is now a huge part of business management. And back then it was, you know, you had loads of sort of Sue's nails or Lisa's hair or whatever it may be that were just, you know, it just was whoever the person was. And marketing was done in a very, very different way. And now everybody's a marketeer. Everybody has to be on brand and things have changed massively. And that step from, you know, going to your local Lisa's hair in the high street to having Tony and Guy in the high street was a massive, massive move for the hair industry. And we have had elements of it within the nail industry with um, things like Nails Inc. But on the whole, it seems to have stuck fairly much with hair. And um, and even beauty hasn't really had those huge brands that have managed to franchise across the whole of the UK. And with those brands comes a very, very different employment model and management model. And I think it was really interesting how Lisa was talking about how now we have to be on brand and how having a self-employed team can sometimes detract from that brand. And yet the clients most often don't realise what kind of employment setup you have within your business 
but it does have a key factor in the success of your business and in how you manage it, how you recruit and how you retain. Lisa's new venture, Business of Salons, and some of the stuff that I'm working on too, this is where I was saying we're kind of going on very similar tangents at the moment, the pair of us, but it is much more about recognising business skills. You know, this is a key, key factor in our industry now. And whether you're a solo therapist working from home, whether you are somebody that's got a team of 15 staff and 10 treatment rooms, you need to be able to market your brand. And, um, and understand how your business operates on a day-to-day basis. Going forward, that's something that I know both Lisa and myself are going to be concentrating on. Finally, one of the things that struck me with, there was a few comments from Lisa there about work experience. And it's something I'm going to cover in the next episode because it is a really, really important part of our industry. And is something that as a salon owner or business owner, you are regularly asked if so-and-so's son, daughter, um, child, cousin, niece, whoever it may be, can do work experience in your business. And it's a really valuable tool for salon owners to impress upon the potential future therapists and stylists within our industry. It's an opportunity to impress upon them what the job actually means. And hopefully we can sort the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, by using this amazing tool that gives them an insight into our world and gives us the opportunity to maybe get that perfect recruit for further down the line. But we'll cover that in next week's episode and uh, look forward to speaking to you then. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Salon Professionals. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share with other industry professionals you think may enjoy the show too. For links and further information, you'll find those in the show notes or on my website, www.suedavies.org. You can also hear more from me and join the Inspiring Salon Professionals community on the Facebook group. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye for now.